Well, good morning, everybody. Just watching you guys come in and move around. You guys look great. You guys feel great? I hope you feel great today. It's an awesome time. It's an awesome day. It's slightly cold, a little bit cold for my blood, but I love it. <clears throat> so Brent asked me last week, uh, you think you can preach this Sunday because PB's out of town and um, I don't want to preach, so can you preach? <clears throat> like, sure, you know, I mean, it's, it's seriously, it's an honor to preach. Um, but I went and saw PB because my sermons are always whatever I happen to be uh, reading at the time. And uh, so I went and saw PB, and I said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm studying Satan right now, the devil, right, demons, <laughs> and how to, how to uh, prepare for demonic attack and all that stuff. So, uh, by the way, don't study that out of fascination. It's not why I'm studying. It's, it's uh, basically for self-preservation and just to learn. Can I preach on the devil? <clears throat> and he looked out the window, and he said, No. Probably not the best topic, uh, given that it's the Christmas season. So, uh, and he's right, of course. So I, then I thought, okay, what can I do? What, what clever or novel sermon can I put together for you guys? And I remember in the seminary, they said, Benjamin, if you ever come up with a novel idea for a sermon, excellent, take that sermon to the shredder <laughs> and just run it through the shredder, right? Because all the thousands of men and women who have gone before you, uh, didn't get it wrong. So I went back to my giant whiteboard that I have hanging up in my office. And I started brainstorming. Uh, first thing I thought of was the nativity, right? I think the Kinneys put this together and uh, renovated it. Gary's wife, Chelsea, did all the artwork. Take a look at this thing up close. It's fantastic. It's gorgeous. Uh, so I thought of the nativity. I thought of eggnog and, and Christmas trees and, and lights, right? And presents and time off from work and Starbucks coffee cups, right? Because they're they're kind of cool. Uh, and then I thought of, we will spend as a nation $465 billion this Christmas, right? Which I can't conceptualize that number. I, I don't, I'm not a numbers guy. I can't fathom how much that is, but I do know it's more money than China and Russia will spend this year on their military. God bless America, right? We spend that much on presents. We spend more on presents than our top two competitors spend on their defense budget. It's amazing. And then I thought of this. But uh <laughs> Black Friday, right? Shopping? <laughs> Nothing says Christmas like that. So, if you think about it, Christmas is changing, right? Christmas has changed. Let's just face it, right? Used to be one of those would be in the front of uh, every town hall. Okay, not anymore, right? Uh, used to be Christmas carols were about Jesus and Bethlehem, some of the stuff we sing today. Uh, those have largely been replaced by secularized versions that talk about other things. <clears throat> used to say, Merry Christmas. I remember my mom taking us somewhere. When we left, she would say, Merry Christmas. And the person would say, Merry Christmas back. And uh, I've never experienced anybody that got offended by that. It's gone. Okay, that's gone today. You can do it. You usually won't hear it in return. Um, even, even our calendar is changing, right? It used to be B.C. and A.D., right? Before Christ, then A.D. is year of the Lord. Now it's B.C.E. and C.E. Uh, before Common Era, whatever Common Era is, and 
common there. It's changing. And look, I love Christmas. Okay, PB said last week he loves the trappings of Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I'm a Christmas guy. The song about uh, Bethlehem and Emmanuel is my favorite song. Love it. But Christmas has changed. God forgive us for what we've turned Christmas into. Now hopefully, it's not just me. I'm not the only one. I'm seeing some heads nod. So hopefully it's not just me. Think back to when you were a kid. Your Christmas, right? And if you're a kid, sorry, you're going to have to take our word for it. Okay, but think back to when you were a kid. Christmas then versus Christmas today. It's changed, right? I'm watching a Hallmark Christmas movie, and Brent and I didn't coordinate. Okay? That's Superman. That's Dean Cain, right? He does a lot of these Christian movies now. At the bottom here, it says, This holiday, they're fighting for love. Now, that's not the one that I saw. But it's a Hallmark movie, and here's what happens in Hallmark Christmas movies, okay? One person is in the city. Um, they come back to the hometown. They hate Christmas, okay? The other one is, is in the small town, right? The one that loves Christmas is supposed to convince the other one to love it too. They get married. They adopt a kid, all right? That's it. So if you know that pattern, that's how all of them go. This one was very similar. There wasn't a child involved. But there's a lady at the apex, right? At the climax of this movie, the lady's talking about how she hates Christmas. And, and it's, it's commercialized. It's rotten. It's horrible. And the man walks over to a fireplace, and he grabs a nutcracker. And he says, that's not what Christmas is about. This is what Christmas is about. And he holds up this nutcracker. I'm sitting up in my... Okay, this is why I can't talk during Hallmark Christmas. I'm not allowed to talk at home. I have to just sit there and shut up. Because I'm thinking, that's not what Christmas was about. That's not it. It's not that. That's the problem today. That's why Christmas is changing. That's why this holiest of holy days is under attack. And it's the same reason why lottery winners end up broke. It's the same reason most people today aren't saved because there's no value in the concept. There's no value in the product. What do I mean? The, the value today for Christmas is in the tradition. It's in the ritual. It's in the fun or the feelings. Okay, we're going to do this and this and this for Christmas. But when that gets a little sketchy, we'll take that part out. And then we'll do this and this. We'll add this. But that, okay, that's offensive now, so we're going to change that. We're going to do this. And this, and the problem is when something happens, something goes wrong, something gets challenged, we change Christmas, right? And to, to me, this is my opinion, given that, the only difference between Christmas and a birthday is that on Christmas, everybody gets a present. And that's why things are so different today. Christmas becomes politically incorrect so it disappears. Carols mention the name Jesus, so we change them. Saying Merry Christmas is exclusionary, so we change it. We say Happy Holidays, Happy Winter Season, Festival, whatever. Jesus gets left in the dust. So Christmas has changed. It is changing further, and that's because the meaning 
of Christmas has been lost. So we're going to look at the Bible and see if we can uh, learn something. Because the Bible is the authority on Christmas, not me, not the Hallmark Channel, not society. Society has shown us what Christmas is. It's an empty shell of what it's supposed to be. But before we go there, before we leave the train station, I want to make sure everybody's on the same train. Okay, What are we trying to learn? What we're looking for is the foundation of Christmas. Okay, the foundation, because our culture is losing this once Christian worldview. And if we know the meaning of Christmas, then Christmas will retain its value. And frankly, without that foundation, Christmas is just another reason to, to give someone a gift. It's just another reason to take some time off from work. Now, typically, many times, a Christmas sermon will start off in Luke chapter 2, and, and it's a great Christmas uh, pericope, right? It's a great passage. It was made popular by Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas movie. You've all seen the video. We've, showed it, we've shown it before. If you've been coming here for a few years, you've seen it a couple of times. Uh, it's a fantastic part of that movie. Everyone loves it, I think. That's seen as the foundation of Christmas, Luke 2, but it's not. Okay, the foundation goes back much further. The, the foundation goes all the way back to Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. So we're going to go there. We're going to spend about 10 minutes here. I'm going to challenge you. We're gonna, I'm going to give you some homework, right? Then we're all going to go to Cancun, have lunch, all right? So just hang with me for a little bit longer. Open your Bible to Genesis, chapter 3, 15. If you have a phone, open the app. If it makes noise, it doesn't matter. I think I heard a baby... If the baby makes noise, don't worry about it. So Genesis, uh, we read, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This took place directly after the first sin. This is God speaking to the devil. It's funny, when I told PB I wouldn't do a, a sermon on the devil, he's just popping up everywhere. This is the initial reference to Christmas in the Bible. This talks about Jesus. This is the origin of Christmas, the genesis, if you will. It's the foundation. Okay, This is a linchpin for Christmas and for the rest of the Bible. You see, our culture, your children, if you didn't homeschool, are taught that this is a myth, that this is false, that Genesis is wrong, it's lies. It's fantasy. Adam and Eve weren't real. They're metaphorical. And if they, even if they were real, they didn't communicate with a talking snake. There's no way this could be possible. No way this could be true. You've heard of a motivational poster. This is a demotivational poster. And if you can't read it, it says, because it says creationism. And if you believe the Bible, if you believe Genesis, you're a creationist. That's your viewpoint. Because desert goat herders living in tents 3,000 years ago knew more about the cosmos and biology than modern-day scientists. It's funny. You know, it's meant to be a joke, but really, it's an insult to God. It's an insult to us. They're everywhere. This 
is society today. Why is that important? Because if you kill Genesis, you might as well throw the rest of this in the garbage. Toss it. This is the foundation. So let me ask you. Why would someone who has been taught that about Genesis, that it's a myth, why would that person listen to a sermon about Christmas? Why would they believe anything about a stable, about a child, about wise men, about Bethlehem? The answer is that they wouldn't, and they don't. They do not believe because they do not have that foundation. They have no value in Christmas. And it turns out that people need that foundation. They need that understanding. They need the why about Christmas. Why was there a need for Christmas? Why is there a need for a Savior to be born? And to get that foundation, you have to go back to Genesis, to the why Jesus was necessary. You cannot start in Luke with a baby. You see, Jesus is the good news. Amen and praise God. He's the good news. But if you want to know the good news, you have to know the bad news as well. Okay, Because before there was good news, there was bad news. And the bad news is that Adam and Eve sinned and their punishment was death. Genesis, God said, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God says you too can do all of that. Be fruitful, multiply. But don't do that one thing. This is the one thing. I'm drawing the line. Don't cross the line. What did Adam and Eve do? Cross the line, right? Now certainly, none of us would have done that, right? If only it was me, we wouldn't have uh, all these problems. Now, the consequence of sin is death for all of us, right? For you, for me, for Muslims, for murderers, for atheists, even for saved Christians. Paul, in the New Testament, a couple of thousand years later, he wrote, for the wages of sin is death. So what does Adam and Eve do? You guys know this part of the story. They sew fig leaves together and they cover themselves with fig leaves, right? But that wasn't enough. Something had to die. Something has to die for their sin. Uh, Blood was required. More on that in just a minute. But that's why God killed animals to cover their sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. That's the first creature or creatures ever killed. Sin brings death into the world. And the Israelites, God's people, carry on this tradition for thousands of years. They do the same thing. God wrote the manual on this whole system. That's the first five books of the Bible of the Old Testament. It's called the law. But it turns out that animals don't take away sin. They cover it. 
They don't fix the problem. The writer of Hebrews, thousands of years later, would say this. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, if that's confusing, think of it like this. God says to you, you have sinned, therefore you are going to die. Period. But because I'm merciful, because I'm a merciful God and I love you, you can kill these animals for now. And I will accept that and should of you. And should of your blood, I'll take their blood. But it was a temporary measure. It was always a temporary measure. Now, God is also a God of grace. So he decided to take our punishment upon himself. You guys have heard this part of the story. He comes into the world, the same world he created, as a baby. Just like we did. Still talking about Christmas. Now maybe you're like me. You're wondering, why the blood? I think Matt did a study on this about what's with the blood. What's the deal with all the blood? Well, in Leviticus, which is one of those first five books, here's what we read. For the life, the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you. That's the sacrificial system. Making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. According to God, blood equals life. And blood atones for the soul. An atonement means to repair, to pay for it, to, to uh, compensate. So God decided he would substitute animal blood for our blood. That life for our life. That's why the blood. And the short answer to that is why the blood? Because that's what God decided. That's what he put in here. That was his call. Now, animals are only temporary. As a sacrifice, they're not perfect. And the sacrifice we needed had to be perfect because a perfect God was offended. Okay, And the only sinless and perfect and eternal sacrifice could be God himself. Jesus, the baby. Now, talking about that sacrifice as the ultimate solution to our ultimate problem, the writer in Hebrews puts it this way. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. So God shows mercy and grace by allowing us to sacrifice animals for a time so that we don't just die like that, so that humanity doesn't just disappear. And then in the fullness of time, when he was ready, when he was ready, he decided to take that punishment on himself. And he shows the ultimate grace by giving up his blood, his life, for ours. 
Christmas. Okay? Here's the meaning of Christmas. Christmas commemorates the day that our infinite God sent himself in the form of Jesus, a baby, for the sole purpose of being sacrificed for us. And that story begins in Genesis with the fall of man. That is what Christmas is about. And that is what's lacking in the Christmas story today. And that's why Christmas has changed. Because without all of this, all of it, Christmas has no value whatsoever. So in light of all of that, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to do something different? Why would I tell you that story when most of you know it? Most of you have heard it. Many of you know it better than I do. Why would I tell you that? Well, it's simple. We all know people who hate Christmas, right? We all know people who hate Hallmark Christmas movies and hate shopping and hate the music and hate all the things associated with Christmas, right? And I'm not talking about your crazy uncle, right, who hates everything and loves to just argue about stuff. I'm not talking about great-great-grandma who just kind of, you know, likes to rant about things. I'm talking about people who really genuinely hate Christmas. And here's the interesting part. They are compelled to tell you, right? They love to tell you what they hate about Christmas. So when they do, here's the homework part. Okay, I told you it's going to be quick today. Here's the homework. When they tell you, and they're going to tell you, I can't stand the music. I can't stand the message. I can't stand uh, presents. I can't stand the, the commercialization. I want you to think about it like this. What they're really telling you is it's a plea. They're crying out for help. What they're saying is, I don't understand Christmas. I don't understand the true meaning. I don't understand what it's all about. And I don't understand why you love it so much. Why do you like Christmas and I hate it? Why do you like the music and I hate it? Why doesn't this bother you so much like it bothers me? So anytime someone tells you this Christmas season that they hate something about Christmas, it's an opportunity. And I hope you will seize it as an opportunity to share with that person your hope. Your hope in Christmas, your hope in Christ, your hope in everything that we're here to learn about and to share. It's a chance to evangelize. Does that make sense? All right, let me ask Don Cole to come up. Grew up in Germany, and um, at a young age, I remember one Christmas in particular, where I went out into the living room at around 3 o'clock in the morning. This was strictly forbidden, right? And I saw the pile for Benjamin, and I saw the pile for Paul, and I saw the pile for Steve, my two older brothers, okay? Uh, and of course, those are piles of presents. And I noticed it was dark. I, I immediately went to my brother's pile and I saw a cuckoo clock. 
Very nice one, right? We're in Germany. Everybody needs a cuckoo clock. And it dawned on me at that moment that Santa would not care, really, who got the clock. Okay? So I moved it to my pile. Right? Felt pretty good. About it. I didn't feel too bad about it. I was, pretty much, I was basically a rotten kid, okay? Uh, went back to bed. Woke up a few hours later. We all run out, look at our presents. And when I got to my pile, when it was light, it dawned on me, well, I, well, I could see it. I had two cuckoo clocks. And for a split second, I've never told, I think, my mom this. My mom and I, we made eye contact for just a minute, and she had the look that I didn't understand at the time. I couldn't figure it. It was like a, a squint, right? And I think, she, you know, she was either thinking, you know, I, I must have messed up, or, Benjamin, you're dead, but we never talked about it. Now, so out of the kindness of my heart, because I was such a nice kid, I immediately grabbed the clock and I said, Here, Steve, you can have one of mine. <laughs> right? I was a wonderful kid. I was terrible. Naughty, yes. So, I don't think I've ever told my brother that story either. <laughs> I, feel ba- I feel better. Okay. Now, now, do you think, think about it for a minute, do you think that that kid cares about the Bible or about the foundation of Christmas or the reason for Christmas? What's important to him is that he gets his presents, that he gets his stuff, that he gets his vacation, that he gets his gift cards, his time off his rifle, his car, his whatever. You can change any of that. You can do whatever you want with that as long as this stays the same. If that stays the same, we're good. I'm really not sure that kid was celebrating. But it wasn't Christmas. Thankfully, God got a hold of that kid later on down the road, and helped him see the light. But maybe this Christmas, you know someone like that. Maybe you know a kid like that. Maybe you are that person. And maybe God wants you to help that person out this Christmas. Maybe that's your job this Christmas. Maybe you're that kid's last hope. Maybe that's your gift this Christmas. The Lord Jesus had a half-brother named Judas. And we have him recorded in the New Testament as Jude. And I spent some time just looking at the doxology at the end of that. And I'm going to pray through that if you want to pray with me. Two words that are the exact same when you say them, but I mean have two different meanings. Like presence. Listen for the word presence in Jude's prayer at the end. Let's pray. And now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the glory of his presence. How awesome. To the only God, our Savior. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.